Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 24th of April 2022, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, baptised into the risen King. So, the idea of a monarchy. The idea of a monarchy is that God specially appoints or anoints someone to lead a people to bind those people more closely together and to represent them to the world. Now, this year is fairly obviously a big one for the monarchy in Britain, isn't it? With the Queen having reigned over this country for 70 years, longer than any other ruler that we've had. And whilst her rule is largely symbolic, there's no doubt that for many people, they do feel that the Queen is a figure that not only unifies the country, but with whom, within whom they feel somehow included. They somehow feel incorporated within what she represents. That's why the royal family, with all of its ups and downs, continues to be in the news. And it's why things like jubilees are still important occasions. I was eight when the Queen's Silver Jubilee occurred in 1977. And I still remember the excitement at a pretty bleak and difficult time in the history of this nation, the excitement because people felt that the celebration of the Queen's 25 years on the throne was at the same time or simultaneously a celebration of something really important about Britain, really important about them. And precisely the same ideas of representation and inclusion or incorporation were meant to apply to Israel's kings. Originally, Israel wasn't meant to have kings. They were meant to just have God as their king. But as a result of not really having proper leadership, they got worse and worse until the point where God eventually relented and granted them the king that they asked for. And Israel's kings were given with the intention of leading God's people binding them more closely together and representing them, both to God and the world. And in David, Israel appeared to have hit the jackpot. They appeared to have got the perfect king, someone after God's own heart, someone able to defeat their enemies, symbolised by that giant Goliath, someone committed to bringing God's presence right into the centre of the nation's life. But as we saw in that series on David not long ago, David turned out to be desperately flawed, didn't he? And precisely because David did represent his people, Israel then became really damaged as well. And it led to large groups of people within David's kingdom wanting to reject him, wanting to reject this incorporation within him. This is one of the things they shouted when there was a particular rebellion. We have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son. The people felt because of injustice, they weren't incorporated in David in the same way that others were. And yet, despite how King David turned out, the people of Israel in later times preserved this ideal of a king from David's line, an anointed king or Messiah, that's what Messiah means, anointed one, who would one day come to rescue them, to unify them, and to incorporate them within God's just rule over the world. And I guess the basic human truth 
is that all of us want to be included rather than left out, don't we? It's a basic human need. Think back to the greatest angst that you had in your school days. And for most of us, perhaps not everyone, but for most people, it wasn't so much the demands of schoolwork than insecurities to do with friendship. And the truth is that while we might get better at disguising it as we get older, that sort of angst doesn't end with our school days, does it? If truth be told, a lot of the concerns amongst adults, not least within office cultures or amongst parents at the school gate, is very similar, with people being desperate to feel included within an in-crowd and feeling insecure and rather rejected if this isn't the case. Being incorporated within a group promises the security we often crave, doesn't it? Even if the need to then stay within that group often makes lasting security always seem elusive, always seem just out of reach. And God's intended answer to that problem for an Israel that had lost its way through its flawed and sinful kings, and for us as well, with all of our insecurities, God's intended answer is us being joined and incorporated within the Son of David, within the risen King, Jesus Christ, and incorporated as well, therefore, within the people that belong to him. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. It's because once we become joined or incorporated within Jesus, in Christ, as St Paul often puts it, we become simultaneously part, fully part, of God's people. Now, the same was meant to happen through King David, but through his sinfulness, through all of his flaws, it meant that that couldn't happen. But Jesus, the son of David, represents the real thing represents what David could only ever foreshadow in an inadequate way. Jesus represents the totally perfect king who was able to do what David couldn't. So how do we become joined to Jesus, the perfect king? How do we therefore become part of his people? How does that incorporation occur? Well, the New Testament is quite clear. It's through baptism and the life of faith that then springs from this. Now, we've got quite a few baptisms coming up in this church during May and June. I'm looking at some of the children down there uh, who are going to be baptised fairly soon. You've got uh, Sophie uh, down there, and uh, I did Faye not long ago, and there's Matthew as well. Um, so, and we've got uh, William coming up as well, haven't we? And, um, yeah, it's going to be really fantastic. And the whole point of baptism is that it represents being joined to Jesus Christ. And being joined to Jesus Christ specifically through those events we've just celebrated at Easter. Being joined to Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And that's what that passage that Jane read to us in Romans 6 was all about. This is what St Paul says. He says, don't you know that all of us who are baptised into Christ, were baptised into his death. We were therefore baptised with him through baptism into death. In, we were buried, should say, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of God the Father, we might too live 
a new life. Apologies for the typo there. The meaning of baptism is that we're joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. Baptism incorporates us into what Jesus represents as our king. And the really crucial point is that through our baptism, what is true of Jesus through his death and resurrection becomes true of us as well. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, all of that sin that he carried was taken down to death and its power was destroyed. Jesus being from the line of David was crucial here because all of that sin accrued by the actions of David and his successors was part of the process by which that sin was passed on to Jesus so it could be dealt with when he died. That was part of the significance of David. That was part of the sort of positive outcome of the negative things about him. And what all of that process meant was that when Jesus rose from the dead on that very first Easter day, the power, the destructive power of that sin was gone. It had no more hold whatsoever over Jesus. He was completely liberated from all of its effects. Jesus' death had dealt with the power of sin. Jesus' death had defeated it. And Jesus' resurrection revealed that total liberation from it. And the fantastic thing about baptism is that it represents us being joined to this achievement. What is true of Jesus in his death and resurrection becomes true of every single one of us as well. In trying to explain baptism, people sometimes say that it's a witness to our faith. It's an action on our part in response to God. Chiefly, I think that argument has been devised to uh, justify baptism not being extended to children. But the Bible actually never speaks of baptism that way. Ongoing faith is crucial in the Christian life, but it's a response to God's grace. And baptism symbolises that grace of God. And it symbolises, therefore, something that God himself is doing in joining us to Jesus in his death and resurrection. And there are a couple of things that spring from this that it's worth us thinking about this morning. And the first of them is this. It's really worth us reflecting upon and gaining security from the privileges of baptism, the wonderful things that baptism brings to us. Now, for some people here, your baptism might have been years and years and years ago. Some of you might not be baptised. Some of you uh, might uh, be weighing this up at the moment. But there are loads of privileges that come from baptism, and here they are, a great big long list. Forgiveness and cleansing from our sins, fairly obviously represented in the water of baptism. New birth and adoption as God's children. We are declared to have precisely the same status in God's sight as Jesus did. That is amazing when you think about it. Jesus, in a sense, is unique as God's son, but that status is shared with all of us through baptism. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given, the New Testament is quite clear, through baptism. We are incorporated into the people of God. That's the entry right into the church. And finally, resurrection life. 
resurrection life guaranteed for our future, but able to be experienced now because Jesus is alive. And the task of the Holy Spirit is to bring part of that future that we've been promised into the present. So resurrection life guaranteed for our future, but beginning now. That power able to be experienced within our lives. Now, all of these things can be unpacked further, and with my dad, I've written a book on baptism which tries to do precisely that. There's a little plug this morning. But what I want to do this morning is concentrate for a few moments on the emotional difference that I believe our status in baptism can make to us. You see, families rightly mean a great deal to those of us who are fortunate enough to have them. But for a variety of reasons, families can also be places of great pain and hurt and disappointment rather than perfect security, can't they? Our response, of course, shouldn't be to abandon our families, if this is the case, but to persevere in loving them. But that task, sometimes very painful and difficult for some, that task and plenty of others in life becomes a lot easier when we recognise the rock-solid security held out to us through our baptism into Jesus, the risen King. Human families, whatever their merits, are frail and they're flawed, aren't they? They're imperfect. They're also temporary and will one day pass away. But Jesus, the risen King, is both perfect and eternal. And that's why we can draw so much strength through being united with Jesus, the living King, and incorporated within him, so that what is true of Jesus flows into us and we receive his power. It's in Jesus Christ and our baptism into him that we can receive that security that says to us that we truly belong to God. We truly belong to God as his precious sons and daughters, and that nothing whatsoever can change that if we continue to abide in Jesus. Baptism is the way that we become joined to Jesus Christ. An ongoing life of faith is the way that that baptism continues to be implemented within our life. And that, I believe, is the source of a security that can really transform our lives, particularly when there are other insecurities in our lives, when there are other things that are hurting or damaging us. It's a security that can make and does make a huge difference. I'll give you an example. Martin Luther, known as being a great Christian hero, one who established the Reformation and the Protestant Church. He had a lot of flaws as well, a lot of things Luther got wrong but a lot of things that he got right as well. But personally, he was really a very insecure person. He was regularly assailed by doubts about his status in the sight of God. He had a sort of overdeveloped conscience, really, where anything that was imperfect about him, he felt for a long time, jeopardised his, uh, his status in the sight of God. And he constantly worried that he was damned. And even after his great breakthrough where he discovered that it was all about the grace of God and, and nothing that we do can contribute to our salvation, it's an act of God. Even after that point, Luther continued to be occasionally plagued by severe doubts about his status in the sight of God. 
But Luther learned a response to make when those thoughts occurred. When these dark thoughts came into Luther's head and troubled him to such an extent, Luther learned what to do. He'd repel them by shouting out in Latin, why he wrote in, uh, said this in Latin rather than German, I'm not sure, but he would shout, baptizatus sum, which means I am baptised. That's what he would shout at the devil when he felt that he was being tempted to doubt his status in the eyes of God. Why did Luther shout that? Because he recognised that baptism is the act of God's grace that incorporates us into Jesus the Messiah. And that that security that Luther longed for, that security that I believe we all long for, could be found in Jesus alone. Those of us who have children are desperate for our children to feel secure, aren't we? And for them to therefore make really good choices because of that security. Nothing makes our children make better choices than when they're surrounded by security. And nothing, uh, the opposite, drives bad choices more than insecurity. One of the reasons why I'm so enthusiastic about the baptism of children here at Christchurch is because I believe that God wants precisely the same in terms of his parenthood of those children. For them to know from their earliest moments that they totally and utterly belong to God and for all the positives that then spring from that to then occur. But as I said earlier, the need for such security and its positive impact doesn't end with childhood. In fact, if anything, it increases as we get older, and particularly as things like midlife crisis start to rear their head, and that's not just a male concept. Particularly as children grow older, children that uh, perhaps a lot of significance has been found by caring for when they're younger, a lot of people as they grow older, as uh, their 50s uh, come nearer and into their 50s, can feel a lot more insecure. That's often the time when redundancy strikes as well. So it's crucial that we attend to our security and we make sure that that's built on things that are really firm. That's one of the reasons why, at my age, 53, with midlife crisis, you know, potentially around me, I've taken to trying to more consciously remember my own baptism. For years, I didn't know anything really about my baptism, where it occurred and when, and then I found a little certificate, which had April the 13th, 1969, on it. And uh, I found out the church in Cornwall, where I was baptised 53 years ago, Ilagan, uh, biggest parish in Cornwall, where Demelza Poldark, for those who are Poldark fans, where she was baptised as well. And each year, when April the 13th comes round, I do try to remember my baptism, give thanks for my parents who brought me up in the Christian faith and all that they've given to me, to thank God for the churches that I've belonged to, seven or eight, during the course of my life. And most important of all, to remind myself of the security that I, and I believe all of us, can and should receive through our baptism. Even if that event happened years and years and years ago and we have no photograph or we have no card or candle or anything to recollect it, if we know that it happened, then we can draw huge security from that baptism and being joined to Jesus, the risen King. And I urge all of you, 
if you've been baptised, to try and have something that reminds you of that, that you can see regularly and can remind you of the status that God has declared that you have in his sight as his precious sons and daughters, the status of totally and utterly belonging to him. But as we remember the privileges of baptism, it's really important that we also remember the calling of baptism. See, the New Testament does talk a great deal about the blessings from baptism, but it also talks about the responsibilities, the callings that come from it, and particularly in those passages that we heard earlier. Baptism joins us to Jesus in his death and resurrection, and therefore the challenge is to live out what that means, to live out what that represents. We live it out by responding to our baptism with holiness. The call to holiness, to live in a way that's distinct and different, that demonstrates our death to sin and the new life that we're called to, is a really crucial part of baptism. Nothing brings baptism more into disrepute, particularly when we baptise children, without any emphasis at all on the life, the baptised life of faith, that God then calls us to in the light of that baptism. The idea is that we receive this act of God's grace, but then we respond to it with faith, not least in holiness. That's what those passages in Romans and Colossians are speaking of when they tell us to put to death the sinful actions of the body. The idea is that we cooperate with God's Spirit, that God's Spirit prompts us, leads us, and we willingly keep in step with the Spirit. We submit to God's Holy Spirit. We try to allow our lives to be shaped by the Spirit's prompting so that our lives are are a reflection of that resurrection life of Jesus through the qualities that we show. And of course, there are plenty of things that are marks of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. We're going to have a series on this soon. But supremely, the most supreme mark that we belong to Jesus, that we're incorporated within him, is our love for others. Now, there are other signs of the calling of baptism as well. Living out our baptism also uh, involves the call to unity with our fellow members of the body of Christ, a crucial calling. People are meant to recognise that Christians exist because of our relationships with one another and the love that we seek to share and the inclusion, showing that belonging to Jesus is for everyone and that love extending out beyond this church as well. But unity is really crucial. And finally, perhaps the most difficult part of the calling of baptism is the call to be prepared to suffer for belonging to Jesus so that we really do live out the truth of his death and resurrection. Jesus suffered because he was determined to love and not return evil with evil. Jesus suffered that terrible experience of crucifixion on Good Friday because of that, but it was followed, of course, by resurrection. Because he was faithful unto death, therefore the resurrection occurred. And part of the calling of baptism, part of the calling of being incorporated within what is true of Jesus, and therefore becomes true of us, is the calling to suffer in a similar way. And it requires a real effort to keep in step with God's Spirit and to allow him, therefore, to keep producing the family likeness within us. Because as we respond to our baptism with faith, 
so the Holy Spirit makes us resemble the Jesus that we're joined to more and more. And the idea is that the longer we've been a Christian, people can see more of God through experiencing their fellowship or their interaction with us. And all of this ultimately feeds back to the security as well that I was talking about earlier. Because actually nothing makes us more secure than knowing that our lives have a purpose. Nothing makes us more secure than knowing through belonging to God, through his son Jesus Christ, we have a purpose in reflecting God's love to the world. We do it as individuals, we do it even more as a church community, brought together into one family through the risen King. So, to finish, this year is a special one for the Queen and therefore for everyone incorporated into what she represents. But the Queen herself is also quick to acknowledge another incorporation that carries an even greater significance. Her own incorporation, together with all those of us who are baptised and respond to that baptism with a life of faith, into Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David, and our risen King. Let's just say a quick prayer before Tim leads us further in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, all of us crave that security of belonging and incorporation. And we know that quite often the most destructive things that we've done in our lives have sprung from insecurity. We ask, therefore, that you would bring home to us the reality of belonging to you and the status that that represents. We pray that you'd help us to reflect more upon our baptism if that has occurred and what you have declared to be true of us through that event. And we ask, Lord God, that you would encourage us to be brave in living a life of faith, to live out the truths proclaimed in our baptism so that we reflect your love and your light to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.